So you've decided to give up that old behavior that's been killing you and all you care for and surrender to a power greater than yourself. That's the first step. Surrender is what opens the prison door. Now it's time to walk through that door and into a whole new way of life. Spirituality, self-care, service, social connection, and the simple daily disciplines that pave the way to lasting freedom. This is Positive Sobriety. Welcome to another episode of the Positive Sobriety Podcast. Well, joining you here, we're recording this in the spring of 2023, my good friend David and me. Uh, I don't know about you, I'm a little, I'm lagging a little bit, David. I've uh, lost some sleep this week, mm. uh, help, helping folks. Uh, I am not a professional recovery coach, but I have enough of a voice and enough of a, you know, a, a public presence that I think I get, we could make uh, you an honorary uh, member. <laughs> uh, you know, upper, I get a fair upper echelon yeah. honorary member. Yeah, for yeah, sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Don't sell yourself well, short. Get, yeah, I get a fair number of emails and messages of people asking for help, and uh, I I do my best to respond, uh, and I get local approaches, and then. Every now and again, just that Hail Mary late night text or phone call. And um, so it's been one of those weeks this week. So uh, middle of the night, no sleep, uh, rush off early in the morning, (laughs) kind of. Yeah. So I'm not a really good boundaries guy and Mm. I have a heart to help. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. So um, I have made the mistake in the past, and I'm sure I still make it, uh, where I have overinvested myself in some in fixing somebody else's problem, uh-huh. or I have a tremendous amount of empathy for parents and for spouses who are desperate to help a child or or, or, or a spouse in trouble, uh-huh. right. and uh, you know, so they reach out to me. I I have learned a few things. For instance, if a wife calls and says, my husband's doing such and such and such, uh, and is not dealing with it, would you give him a call? Uh Uh, I now know that my answer has to be no. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I will take a call. You can give him my number, and if he wants to talk to me, I will answer the phone and talk to him. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. And I can sometimes gauge fairly quickly in that conversation if it comes, if he makes the call, mm-hmm. whether he's making the call because he is looking for help or because he wants to pr- placate a spouse. Right. Yeah. 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 There's a <laughs> yeah, there's a big difference in that desperation call and the call that's just, you know, everybody's pissed off and... Um, yeah, I am, you know, supposed to talk to you. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, the, the crazy thing, if you do this long enough, David, I'm sure you've had this experience where you'll have that conversation and, you know, I mean, I give the guy some time and maybe it's 15, 20, 30 minute conversation and I'll tell him what I think is going to be useful and helpful. And I mm-hmm. also know that he's just putting in time. It's not going anywhere. Mm hmm. But four or five or six years later, mm-hmm. yeah, and maybe by this time the marriage is over. Mm-hmm. Now he calls of his own volition, and it's an entirely different conversation. Yeah, right. And yeah. I can be more helpful, and he's in a place to move. Um, I really struggle with. Um, I'm very empathetic toward spouses and parents. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, <laughs> I want to help 
the person they're concerned about, mainly to help reduce the distress of the spouse or the parent. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Yeah. And I yeah. and I put and I put myself and them, I think, in a difficult situation uh, because I'm trying at times to do the impossible. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, it's been one of those weeks. It's kind of top of mind for me. I'm really yeah. glad that we have the guest that you have arranged for this week. Uh, because yeah, a very timely I, uh, topic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I have an idea that this conversation is going to shed some light on uh, what uh, has uh, been a challenging week for me. Yeah, yeah. I think it will, and I think you know there are going to be so many people that are going to resonate with uh, what she's going to share because. Um, I think that, uh, I think that we find ourselves, you know, we're sort of the frog in the pot, you know, uh, mm-hmm. sometimes as, as both, you know, recovering people and the people who love recovering people and trying to help. Yeah. And, you know, it's yeah. just getting hotter and hotter and hotter and we don't understand it. And then, uh, somewhere in there, we realize that, uh, you know, we're, uh, we're, we're not able to change the people that we thought we could, um, yeah. we don't have yeah. superpowers. Yeah, or that what we're doing is we're actually doing too much and yeah. inhibiting inhibiting yeah. progress more than encouraging it. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Well, I guess with that as an introduction, uh, listeners, if you'll stay with us, we'll be back in a moment uh, with a conversation that uh, I'm quite sure is going to be helpful to all of us. Stay with us. We'll be back in a moment on the Positive Sobriety Podcast. Welcome back to the Positive Sobriety Podcast. Uh, We have joining us today a professional recovery coach and author. Joining us from just outside St. Louis, Missouri in Wildwood, Sonia Myrer is with us. Hi, Sonia. Good morning, Nate. Good to be here. Uh, it's it's great to have you. I understand you and David go back a little way. You you actually uh, connected some time ago. Tell me tell me that story. How did that happen? We did. It's actually funny. I'm a big fan of the Enneagram, and uh, mm-hmm. I was listening to Ian Cron's uh, Typology podcast, and mm-hmm. I think there were a couple of times, um, David, that you were on, and I know the two of you uh, were on once too. And I thought, mm-hmm. well, gosh, I really love. Uh, the idea of a professional recovery coach. I was something that I was very interested in and sort of doing informally anywhere. Right. And then mm-hmm. I actually heard Ian on your podcast and I thought, well, this is just too good to be true. So I reached out to David and asked him h- how to become him. And he was very generous. <laughs> <laughs> scary thought. <laughs> he, he didn't and, mention anything scary. He just said, here's a program that, uh, that I tried and I actually completed the program. And I was just so grateful to him for the time um, mm, that mm. he uh, gave me. So uh, it kind of launched me into this new phase of my life too. Well, I'm curious about how you say that you were actually kind of informally doing recovery coaching before you went for the professional training and certification. So I intuit from that statement that you have a recovery story of your own. Uh, This probably wasn't something you planned when you were five or six or seven years old. So do you have time? Can you tell us that story? I would love to. And it's interesting. It's actually kind of from the other side of the coin. So those of us who kind of grew up in environments where codependency or, you know, having to be very in tune with somebody else's needs was a part Mm -hmm. of our development um, would actually say that codependency is its own addiction. It's its own Mm -hmm. type of recovery. And so, um, I did um, have addiction show up in my marriage. So I was married um, to a man for 30 years and and somewhere about 10, 15 years in alcoholism showed up. But, you know, from mm-hmm. my own journey, the, the codependency, this desire to help and fix and change people, that was something that I learned very young. So I would mm-hmm. say I've been in recovery, you know, from, from my own kind of um, mm. addiction or, or from addictive behaviors for a while. And I, I made a decision at some point when, when the alcoholism showed up, I had no exposure. I didn't know anything about the disease of addiction or alcoholism. And so I had to learn. And I had a very smart counselor 
say to me, well, number one, um, spouses are never wrong. So if, if you think that that's what's happening in your life and in your marriage, and you, you know, you're probably spot on, but here's what you're going to do. You're going to go get into Al-Anon and you're going to start learning and healing. And of course, like most people who <laughs> Watch the doors. I said, wait a minute, why am I going, you know, to some... Yeah, yeah, right. right. He's the, the problem. problem. Yeah. Why am I going to the meetings, right? There's yeah, yeah. wrong with me. I'm perfectly good at what I do, and I lecture well, and I give PowerPoint presentations to my spouse, and I draw diagrams for him and try to tell him what to do, and I don't see the problem. Yeah, and all of that was met with welcome, uh, welcome open arms, I'm sure. Oh, it, you know, I tell you, he was patient. I will mm. tell you that. Um, he was good about listening and then going on and doing exactly what he was going to do. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, I had to learn. I had to learn to let go of my illusion of control and mm. the things that I had learned as a child that were helpful back then that were not helpful mm. anymore, not only in marriage, but in the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, Sonia, based on the title of your book, uh, you know, and the and by the way, the guys, the book is called "And Then You Went Missing: A Hope-Filled Guide for Anyone Lost in a Difficult Relationship." When did you know that you had gone missing mm-hmm. in your in your marriage? I think one of the things that I had always heard um, as an adult, as I was sort of in a spiritual community and a church community, is, "Hey, you know." Other people can, you know, spark rage in you and they can spark sadness in you, but you are always responsible for the way you behave. And I noticed myself becoming unkind and sarcastic. And I noticed myself being, you know, cruel and, and turning a cold shoulder. And, and at some point in there, I thought, this is not who I am. And when I started attending Al-Anon, I realized, you know, I, I'm not sure I ever really knew who I was. I think I had spent a majority of my definitely my youth and, and my marriage, I'm so focused on making sure that the other person was fill in the blank, performing, doing what they needed to do, um, abstaining from alcohol, being a good parent that I, I had no idea. And so when someone would ask, how are you doing? My default mm-hmm. was always, well, he's, he's doing this and that, and the kids mm-hmm. are doing this and that. And I mm-hmm. realized I, I don't know anything. I, I, I don't even know what I need, what I want. I just need everybody else to sort of perform in the script that I had written. And, and so, um, and, and I, you know, in this sort of informal coaching, as people started to approach me and say, Hey, I know you're an Al-Anon. How does that work? I have this situation. I realized that this is really what happens for a lot of us who are dwarfed by somebody else's fill in the blank, um, mm-hmm. somebody else's addiction, mental illness, larger than life personality. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, and it's sad. It's really sad because underneath all of that is a person who's been put on this earth with gifts and talents. And, um, but we just, we get mm-hmm. so lost, um, that yeah. we, we just don't even know who we are. Right. Right. I wonder if we could rewind to your childhood because you said yeah. that this is something you learned from childhood. Yeah. So, uh, the story I make up in my mind, I recall this saying that in healthy families, parents care for children in unhealthy families, children care for parents. Was that your situation? Yeah. And, you know, um, it's, it's always good in my mind to go back and reflect um, for the purpose of wanting to understand how I behave today. I'm very careful about not wanting to go back and point fingers and blame because I I Mm -hmm. think people get a little bit defensive about, well, you had a great childhood and from, from the outside, you know, I had a roof over my head. There was food. There was enough money for me to go to college. So it, it wasn't so much that I was in one of those really despondent or, or deplorable situations. But on the mm-hmm. inside, there was just a lot of chaos. My parents were both um, refugees in the Second World War in Germany. And they, you know, they, they never wow. got help for their trauma. Um, wow. wow. Yeah. So it starts there, right? I mean, right. It, mm-hmm. that, that's where the... The story starts and, you know, my mom did her best and she loved us. There were multiple kids. She was married a couple of times, but her entire childhood was survival. And so mm-hmm. her, you know, her treatment of her children, the way that she moved forward was simply survival. This is the storyline. This is this is the way we are going to be to the world. Mm-hmm. Um, there was love. It wasn't that there was the absence of love, but there was no room for anger. There was no room for um, having opinions or doing anything that kind of broke her world. This is the way it, it's going to be, and you're going to go along with it. And so early on, 
my siblings mm. and I, we all kind of develop different strategies. So my, my younger brother, he just developed the strategy of, I'm just going to be angry and mad at the world because I don't like what's happening. My older brother developed the strategy of, I'm just going to tune it all out. Um, mm-hmm. And I became the compliant one. And mm-hmm, you know, yeah. I was I was the good girl. And there's there are so many books written about that kind of um, storyline. But I kind of went into my adulthood thinking my job is one thing, and that is to make sure that everybody around me is happy with me. Um, yeah. So that's that's kind of where it started. There's you know there's more to the story, but but I think we learn these patterns. And what I've been told by my counselors is good for you that you survived your childhood. You know, developing right. those tools. Yeah but you don't need those tools anymore. In fact, they're not helping you mm-hmm. today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and Sonia, I can only imagine that in a, in an environment where people have survived such a, you know, I mean, unimaginable things that, you know, we don't care. I don't even want to guess anything about that, but um, there had to be sort of a standard there where, um, I mean, did you get this? Did you ever get this? What are you, what are you complaining about? What do you, so you want to know what hard is? I mean, I can only imagine that that would, be, you know, a a natural outgrowth of that kind of experience for them. And yet that shuts us down because then we don't, well, then I, I really don't have the right to express anything, you know, I mean, was there, was there that element as well going on and all that? Well, I think there was just this absence of an experience of what normal and healthy was. So, you know, when you grow up in that kind of chaos and your parents are coming home from war, they're disappearing in literally in a Russian prison, you, you don't know what it's like to oh, have that kind of stability and to have someone care about you and look you in your eye. You know, my mom's job was to go find food for her and her mom. And, and mm-hmm. that's what her childhood, a lot of her childhood was like. And so when you have your own children and, and you know, the mm-hmm. same is true generationally, if you've never had that experience of stability, it's very hard to even know that you were maybe could be doing something differently or, or better. It was, you know, I put my children on this earth and they have security, you know, I'm married to someone who can now care for them and they're going to do sports and they're going to do well in school. Yeah. Uh-huh. And that's it. Yeah. You know, yeah. and we did yeah. those things. We, we, we did a really good job of those things, Yeah. but no one ever asked. So what, what are you, what are you needing? What are you wanting? How are you feeling? You know, there was one yeah. feeling and that feeling was you had darn better be happy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm going to tell you a story about, you know, and again, yeah. it's not so much going back and saying, okay, you're to blame, but that that's what was modeled to us. And that's yeah. what was modeled to, you know, to her. And so coming forward thinking, well, I'm not allowed to complain about anything. If I have a problem, for example, addiction in my marriage, it's my job to solve it. Wow. Because, yeah. you know, being unhappy and being miserable, that that's just not an option. So get to it. Mm, yeah. Mm, wow. Mm, mm. And there are a lot of people that have adopted that um, that mindset who didn't, uh, who weren't raised by people that had such trauma in their lives, maybe, you know, but um, how did, tell us how the book came about. You, you got in, you know, to your own, uh, your own work, obviously, your own interpersonal work. And, and how did you decide that, you know, uh, not only had you gone missing, but maybe there are a few other people out there that have too. Mm-hmm. And uh, the book, the book begins to take a life of its own. So, how did that happen? Yeah. So early on, when I was starting sort of this this coaching practice and, and in school, um, I was sort of working together with a counseling center, and one of the counselors there said, "You know, I'd really love for you to do a workshop because I really think that the work that you're doing with helping people and helping them set healthy boundaries could be really important." And so. For probably about four years now, um, we've had this workshop called Boundaries and Relationships, and it's mm-hmm. a six-hour workshop, and it really walks people through not only how to set boundaries. So that's been always one of my my little pet peeves is, you know, we coach people on, you got to get out there and stand up for yourself and set boundaries and kind of push them off. Um, and, and the minute they try, if, if they don't know how or why, this idea of all the pushback that comes at them usually makes them turn around and run and go back and do the same things they've been doing. And so I found that, you know, trying to help people go back to the beginning and understand, well, what, what is a healthy relationship? What does that even look like? If you've never really experienced one, you might not know. And, and what is codependency and what are the patterns of behavior that you've developed and why, and giving them some tools before they actually ever say, look, this is not going to work for me anymore, or I'm not going to tolerate the abuse or whatever, that, that's really helpful 
so that they know going in, I accept who this person is and I've learned to detach from them and now I'm going to move forward. So um, that's kind of the whole premise of the workshop is it takes a little bit of work before we can actually do things that are healthy. We can't just flip a switch and say, mm. I'm a new person now. So yeah. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. out of the workshop, there were some people who said to me, you know, there I have friends and, and others who can't attend. Would you ever consider writing a book? And I, I had thought about it. Um, but uh, after after hearing that, I thought, okay, maybe I'll I'll actually put some fuel under the fire. So I quit my job and took a year off and sat down and did this writing thing. <laughs> wow. Yeah. It's brave and and good um, and helpful. Um, what are some signs, Sonia, that um, people can begin to ask themselves? I know you cover some of this in your book, but what do you? What are some signs that people can begin to ask themselves uh, to help themselves see whether whether they've gone missing or they're going missing? Uh, you know, the um, because most of us make a lot of excuses for uh, the you know the behaviors we have and the things that we. Uh, the, the way we enable and the way we feel like we, you know, we give, we give, we give. And um, so how do, how can we assess that for ourselves a little better? Yeah. And it's funny in the workshop, we actually look at a list of some of those behaviors and you can kind of hear the audible gasps, you know, as we go through the list of, oh, I do that and I do that and I do, and I had no idea that that wasn't healthy. And so, you know, and, and we throw the word codependency out there. It's kind of gotten a bad rap a little bit and people mm-hmm. kind of misuse it. But but I would say that anytime we find ourselves um, sort of gobbled up by or overshadowed by somebody else's life, when an inordinate amount of our time and our energy and our resources are aimed at trying to fix, change, help, um, cure someone else, that we're, we're walking down that path of becoming, you know, dwarfed or becoming hidden mm-hmm. um, by someone else. And so some of the more common um, patterns are things like just um, lecturing. And we might think, mm-hmm. well, you know, I hear my clients say all the time, well, I told him and I told them and I always ask how many times, you know, how many times mm-hmm. did you tell them? Because really, if we have an opinion to share with someone and we ask permission to share that opinion, we only have to say it once. They mm-hmm. they heard or they didn't hear the first time. The second time is kind of being pushy. And the third time is nagging. And mm-hmm. that's difficult for us, those of us who want to help someone so desperately. So when we're, we're repeatedly lecturing, or I was giggling earlier about the fact that I made a PowerPoint. It was fabulous. And the person was <laughs> really good. And there were pictures and diagrams. I think I drew a children's book at some point. You know, the <laughs> The person on the mm-hmm. other end wasn't interested. And yeah. um, so that was on me. Um, when I um, myself start to deplete myself where my, you know, my health, my, my physical health, my mental health are being challenged by wanting to fix and change someone else when I'm covering for someone else. Mm-hmm. So, ah. you know, the person didn't make it to work and I feel like I need to hop in now and call and, make up stories. So, so when I am not allowing someone to deal with their own consequences, mm-hmm. that's when I'm kind of getting into the danger um, of, of letting somebody else's life take yeah. over my own. Yeah. Mm, mm, mm. Wow. I um, I was just thinking while you were talking about that, I deal a lot of times with parents of a young adult children who are uh, suffering with some type of substance abuse or substance use disorder uh, or other behaviors and um, how how often that is the case with even even parent adult young adult children yes. relationships yes. go yeah yeah you know yeah. that same that same dynamic we're working a whole lot harder at their program than they are in fact they don't really see it as a program at all <laughs> it's just mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. this is what I have to do to stay here at home and uh, be safe for a little while longer and um, you know mom comes in and loses it and. Uh, you know, spins around and, and, and then she still cleans up my room and, and takes out my, you know, whatever. And um, so, yeah, I mean, I think that's, I think, but, but, but when you say that maybe people even who have lost themselves in, in other areas of their lives might be prone to be those type of parents as well. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it's tough. I mean, it, this is your child, right? This is your flesh and blood. And when it's your spouse, it's still tough, but this, this is the child you brought into this world and you do still have responsibility for them. Um, 
What, what I find is interesting is that I find parents fall into one of two camps initially, and that is I'm not giving up the mentality of I will do whatever it takes, which, you know, sometimes some of those whatever it takes is are not necessarily the most healthy things mm-hmm. or the parents who feel like that's it. I got to put in tough love and put them out in front of the door. And I, and I always say, you know, with a little bit of help, you know, doing some coaching, getting into a program, you might recognize that you don't have to do either extreme. I, I don't think anybody should from one day to the next tell their child there's the door out and lock it. And, and you know, that there need to be mm-hmm. some steps that you have taken, mm-hmm. setting boundaries, um, taking care of yourself in the meantime, in order for that situation to be resolved by your child making their own choices. And mm-hmm. so it, it's, you know, an adult child or, or a teenager can make a choice to do the things that they need to do to stay in the home and to be allowed to stay or not. But it doesn't need to be uh, overnight, you know, I'm done and, and, and it's just tough love now. So, you know, I think just kind of understanding and taking some time in the situation, people often come to me and say, but, but I have to do something because tonight that person's walking back through the door again. What do I do? And I always say, mm-hmm. do as little as you can. At the beginning, mm-hmm. do nothing mm-hmm. you can, mm-hmm. and just take your time, get some help, get some support, and figure out a plan so that you're not responding, you know, with a lot of volatility, or you're not doing something where five days later you say, "Okay, I take it all back again." Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you the 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 situations that I find the most heartbreaking, and where I just have the the greatest empathy for parents, especially, uh, not just when they're de- when they're dealing with a child who has an addiction issue, but it's not as simple as the addiction issue. Uh, you know, when there are, when there's some kind of dual diagnosis or when there's just outright mental illness where that child and uh, the feeling of absolute helplessness that I see on the faces and hear in the voices of these parents uh, and coming to terms with the fact that they cannot fix it. And in that child's current mental state, he or she cannot fix it either. How do you help a parent in that situation? Well, you know, just acknowledging, first of all, how they're feeling. Because I I think we can feel so isolated. And so, you know, there's a sense of nobody else in the world um, can understand what I'm feeling and giving them an opportunity to just grieve and mm-hmm. express their, their disappointment with what's happening. And there's a mm-hmm. lot of shame in there a lot of times for parents too. What did I not pick up on? What did I not see? What did I do, do wrong? And so, you know, just allowing them to have a safe place to be honest about mm-hmm. what's happening. A couple of things that I always do is find out early on, you know, who are your resources? Who are the people in your life? who will mm-hmm. come alongside of you because it is so difficult when you feel like you're the only one, but often you're not. There are other mm-hmm. parents out there who are struggling. And so trying to yes. connect them with groups and communities where they can mm-hmm. get their, find their own resources. And then, you know, the other thing I say to parents all the time and, and clients in general is this is not a black and white situation. There's no manual. And so mm-hmm. you're going to do the best you can. And that's all you can do. You can only do the best you can, and it's going to be messy. You're going to make a decision one day, and you may change your mind tomorrow, and you might learn something and do something else. So, you know, allowing yourself time, even if you feel like I have to solve this immediately, giving yourself some grace as you go through this, because it really is hard. Um, And and you will learn as you go, and you'll look back and say, well, that wasn't the greatest decision, but you did the best that you could at the time with Mm -hmm. what you knew. Mm Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Sonia, I, uh, as I was going through the book, I realized that, you know, the importance of doing the work, I mean, for your, is for yourself, of course, but, um, as, and so that you don't leave a relationship and go find the same relationship again and invest yourself in the same way. And, and all that we, it's this bit of, probably a sick joke, but this is my family for you. But we had a relative that, um, you know, we joked that she married the same guy three times. He just wore different pants, you know, Mm -hmm. um, because it was the same story over and over. And, 
you know, it would, it would leave this thing and everybody would be, oh, thank God she's finally, you know, and blah, blah, blah. And then, uh, you know, within a month, um, you know, there's another version of this last person she was with. And um, so, so how, um, I guess my question in that is, how can we help people as we watch them repeating cycles, you know, and asking them, um, you know, if they're if they're aware that they're that they that they're not bringing a whole self to the relationship, or that they're aware that they're repeating this, how can we how can we speak into that in a way that they can hear us? Yeah, well, and, and I think we do exactly that, um, David. Is we we do speak into it um, gently. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of the, the clients that I'm dealing with are in the middle of a situation where they're trying to figure out what to do next. It could be a spouse, it could be a child, a family member, um, but but recognizing those patterns of behavior. Um, and really in those moments where they start to talk about, well, I, I keep telling him and he won't. And, and the anger is helping them pause and say, okay, what is your responsibility? And what mm-hmm. is not your responsibility? Mm-hmm. And why do you think you know, he should listen and, and kind of unpacking this twisted thinking that we have when we, from a very young age, often grow up thinking we are supposed to be helping people change, making people do, you know, bend to our will. And so a lot of the work I do is just sort of in helping them stop and, and pause because we know we can rewire, we, we can think differently, mm-hmm. but it's mm-hmm. a little bit like, you know, cognitive behavior therapy where you're stopping and you're having them just look at, well, why do you think so? And the, the question that I ask more often than not is, and whose responsibility is that? Mm-hmm. And whose response? And, you know, and, and the, the kids are upset or the courts could do this or that. And he's going to be angry with me. And whose responsibility is that? You know, and, mm-hmm. and really just helping them see, my goodness, we take on so much. Allowing people the dignity of their own suffering. It's mm-hmm. super, super hard for those of us who struggle with codependency. Mm-hmm. Um, oh. because we, right? Because we just don't want to- Allowing wanna... people the dignity of their own suffering. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Darn it. Yeah. yeah. Embroider that on a pillow. Right. Uh, yeah. Let me ask you this. During your years of unconscious active addiction, yeah. uh, would you have thought of yourself as a controlling person? Would your spouse have thought of you as a controlling person? And in recovery, has control, how much has control been an issue for you? I, uh, thank you for asking that because I absolutely would never have thought that I was controlling. Um, mm-hmm. I was modeling what I learned. And that is, yeah. you know, you have to get what you need to get and you need to just force it and make it happen. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, uh, you know, I don't know. I don't even know if there was an otherwise, but it was mm-hmm. just especially for the people who were close to me. You know, mm-hmm. it, it has to look a certain way and you're going to perform. And at the beginning, it was fine. You know, I I probably was a, a helper. So the, the, the man that I married was from another country. And when he, we moved here, boy, I had lots of tips and lots of help for him. And mm-hmm. this is how we do things in the States. And this is how we do things. And so I can imagine that wasn't always very helpful either. It's very easy to tear down somebody's self-esteem when you're constantly trying to fix them. Yeah. Some some people would say, back off, we're not going down that alley. But when you're matched with someone who's struggling um, and they don't know how to defend themselves, then it kind of, you know, he, I think he became more and more ashamed of his ability to help and to please me and to do the things Uh that an American would do. So it, it, it was, um, it was definitely something I had to take some accountability for later on too. And so in Al-Anon and in spending time working on why, why do I need to do these things? What would happen if I let go? I think um, the people around me, including my children, I hope, also felt that there was help, something healthier going on. Um, but mm-hmm. it, it took some time and it's certainly ongoing. You know, it's certainly something I have to continue to work on. Um, it's just pausing and saying that that I do not control and that person I don't control. And if they don't like me, that's their prerogative. It's mm-hmm. okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How much, um, Sonia, do you see uh, kind of any overlap with, um, you know, what we'd call love, attachment, uh, addiction, relationship addiction, um, uh, playing into this where people just, um, they, they absolutely have to be connected to someone to matter? 
Yeah, I think that has some some overlap for sure. And I, I, I'm assuming it goes back again to childhood. Um, if we found love and acceptance in the environment where we were raised by performing, by being what the other person needed us to be, then there's that sense of security and safety that we have developed early on. And so as we grow and mature and we have those relationships where we're still getting our sense of safety and security, um, the the idea that I could leave or move away or do something healthier is terrifying because we just don't know. We, we don't know that that could be true. And so somebody's rejection of us or somebody's not liking of us, that, that idea that that could even be okay, that that could exist is hard. And, and I think especially when shame is involved because shame is such a deep emotion and um, it's so, so difficult to experience it and allow it that we will do everything we can to to keep a relationship, um, yeah. even if it's not necessarily a, a healthy one. Mm, yeah, yeah. See, I, I wonder about something, Sonia, you mentioned at the top of our conversation that uh, your first contact with us was through Ian Cron's uh, Enneagram mm -hmm. uh, typology uh, podcast. You're a fan of the Enneagram. Absolutely. Uh, so that's that system of uh, identifying, understanding personality types. Uh, we've talked about codependency developing out of childhood experience, but I'm wondering whether this tendency toward losing oneself uh, and for one reason or another, investing too much in controlling or fixing or helping other people, could that also, are there personality types who are more mm. prone to that behavior, regardless mm. of what their, what their home life was like as a, like as a child? Mm. Yeah. And what I love about the Enneagram is that it doesn't try to take apart, you know, sort of our, our innate personality versus our experiences. It says, well, we are the product of both of those things. Okay. And yeah. so how can we move forward with those things? You know, what's funny is there's only one number in the Enneagram that I think does not struggle with codependency. And that's an Enneagram. <laughs> it's an eight. I have uh -huh. several eights in my life. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just not an issue. Why would you care? Why yeah. would, you know, and, and it's really hard to help an eight understand, David, you're nodding, but to understand those of us mm -hmm. um, who have this propensity. So in, in my experience, I have a lot of twos in my life. And I think mm -hmm. twos are pleasers. They mm -hmm. want other people to be happy with them. So th this tendency to think that I'm going to get my my love and my affirmation by pleasing other people would, would often maybe come out of codependency or could reflect codependency, but nines mm -hmm. as well. I know a lot of nines um, who I just want to keep the peace. Please mm -hmm. do not, you know, put a lot of conflict in my life and I'll do whatever it takes to just sort of keep that peace. Now I'm a three and I, I do that in my own way because I want to perform, right? I want people to be happy with me. Um, David, I know you're a four. Is that correct? Uh, I'm a nine, actually. Yeah. Oh, you're a nine. Yeah, okay. yeah. 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 Could nines okay. raise their hand? <laughs> yes. That's okay. Yeah, so I was singing to the choir. I don't know. Um, how how would you uh, describe yourself on the Enneagram? Well, you know, I've tested as a three. Ian told me I'm a two, and uh, most recently I was tested as a nine. So God knows what I was. <laughs> I'm a freaking mess. <laughs> yeah. 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 Your combination yeah. of all of it, uh, yeah, yeah, but 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 but, but bottom line is, uh, I exhibit this behavior, uh, and and experience the uh, ur the urges that you you describe, and setting boundaries is very difficult for me. Mm -hmm. What I find fascinating, Nate, is that I have a lot of friends who are in recovery from alcohol and drug addiction. My son is mm -hmm. actually um, a practicing counselor, also in a uh, a treatment center. And most of the people I know, maybe all who struggle with uh, um, substance abuse disorders um, and behaviors mm -hmm. would say that codependency it, it goes right along with it, that they have yes. all struggled with. In fact, that many of them would say that that came first. Right. So this yeah. idea yeah. that I, you know, there was disorder, there was dysfunction, there was something that was wrong with me. I had to try to fix it. And then at some point the pain became too much. And so I looked for a way Mm -hmm. um, yeah. to, to make the pain go away. Um, mm -hmm. So this is something that I think really applies to everybody in recovery mm -hmm. across yeah. the spectrum. 
Yeah, I think I, get I, mean, I, I experienced that in my own recovery when I uh, first uh, got sober and started seeing an addiction specialist uh, a therapist. Um, and she very early told me, she said, you know, um, she said, uh, I, I'm not sure you have a self. And I said, mm-hmm. oh, no, you know, this is who I am. And I described myself as I related to everybody else in my life, you know, and mm-hmm. this is in my early sobriety now. And but but taking the substance away, I didn't I didn't know that I had um, kind of abdicated <laughs> any responsibility mm-hmm. of my own. Uh, and my conflict avoidant nine, you know, was uh, mm-hmm. always out there to you know be the peacemaker and the compliant uh, person. But she said, you know, um, this process is going to be you developing a self and bringing that self mm-hmm. and feeling confident to bring that self into reality. And, and as I began to realize that, that was part of the disruption of recovery because everybody had learned mm-hmm. to, you know, I had trained everybody how to treat me. And mm-hmm. suddenly it was like, well, you know, shit, what's wrong Wait with a David? Second. David has an opinion. <laughs> what, yeah. What's going on here? <laughs> That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Something is obviously wrong. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and I, I take your point also about the, I remember early in recovery, I was under the apprehension that there's there are like two species, the addict and the codependent. Mm-hmm. And early on, I heard somebody say, scratch an addict, you find a codependent. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, so maybe I've got the codependency issues that are underlying this crazy behavior of mine. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Sonia. You know, it makes sense. I say to my clients when they ask me, well, what is this codependency? I just say, you know... You, Someone is on a roller coaster ride and you've just you've decided or you've been strapped in next to them and Mm -hmm. it's going to be a part of who you are. And, you know, hopefully at some point you'll make a decision maybe to unstrap and and get out or get on a different ride or invite them on a different ride. But, you know, you it's nothing you did. It's a part of what's happened to you and you're you're affected by it, whether you like it or, or you don't like it. The goal is how can you get healthy? And how mm-hmm. can you get healthy? The tricky part, and, and you know, we spend some time in the book, despite the choices of the other person. And and yeah. what happens often is people will go into boundary setting as sort of an ultimatum. Well, I I gave him the ultimatum and I set this boundary, but he, you know, he's still doing this and such. And I always say, then that's not a boundary. Then that's an ultimatum. You know, boundaries work a hundred percent of the time mm-hmm. when we set them in health for ourselves here's what I'm choosing to do. I'm going to remove myself from this behavior or from this relationship. I, I hope you get better. I hope you get help, but that's not something I can control. And that takes a while to understand that, that, uh, that mindset. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great point. I had not really thought about how we often don't make the right distinction between boundaries and ultimatums. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and maybe we're un un intentionally uh, encouraging people to make ultimatums at times instead of really creating healthy boundaries. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. It's a, it's a really important distinction. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, the title of the book is, and then you went missing. Uh, it's, uh, available in fine bookstores everywhere and on Amazon. I, I assume. Uh, it's on Amazon right now. I, I hope okay. the fine bookstores will pick it up. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, And for those of our listeners who have found themselves sitting in the car in the driveway because they don't want to shut this thing off, they've they've been hooked by the conversation and now they want to contact Sonia. How do they get to you? Yeah. So either on my website, um, which is um, Mm -hmm. soniamcoaching.com, or you can uh, email me at sonia at soniamcoaching.com. And um, we should okay. say that you spell your name S-O-N-J-A, just right. uh, to be clear for folks that... Uh, yeah, it's a good, the good German pronunciation, the good German uh-huh. name. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Well, it's been a delight. Thank you so much for making time Thank for us so today, Thank you so much for having Sonia. me. I'm, I'm glad we finally get to see each other and come full circle, too. Yeah, this <laughs> is great. I, and I'm, I'm excited that your work is going so well, Sonia, and, the, and congratulations on not just completing you know, all the certification process, but, um, you know, thriving and, and putting your, your message out there, telling your story and, uh, all of the, all that goes with it. So all the best on the book as well. So 
Thank yeah. you very thank much. You for, thank you for putting in the work to write the book. I know from experience that it's not as easy as we think it's going to be. Yeah. <laughs> it is quite challenging. Yes, it is quite challenging. No, I'm All right, poetic. listeners, stay with us. We'll be back in just a moment on the Positive Sobriety Welcome back to the Positive Sobriety Podcast. And um, I am really excited that uh, Sonia got to join us today, Nate. You know, it's <laughs> delightful. She, yeah. She mentioned, you know, that, um, you know, she had connected with me. And um, it's just kind of fun um, doing what, what both of us do, you and I, mm-hmm. in different ways. But uh, to see people that we've given some input in or maybe mm-hmm. offered some instruction about a, you know, an idea or a possibility that they've inquired and, and then they go off and they, they really do the thing and thrive and come back <laughs> and say, Hey, here's, here's the thing I did. And, and, uh, yeah. and then, you know, she sent me a nice book signed with uh, a nice uh, little inscription on it. And, um, oh, wow. and you know, it feels, it feels good, but I'll tell you, I, this is a subject that I think is, is really important because, you know, I love her title and then you went missing, mm-hmm. um, because yeah, that's a great title. Yeah. I think that, I think that a lot of us, uh, are, are, um, way over our head in our investment in either other people and relationships and circumstances that we don't really have control over and yeah, we don't yeah. know it until we're until we're so immersed that we've lost all of our boundaries all of our energy all of our you know yeah, all that yeah. stuff and we have to go back and reclaim um mm-hmm. ourselves you know and yeah, uh, yeah. and I think that's her her admonition you know obviously in this book is 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 reclaiming ourselves how what is and isn't helpful and um but learning that um by losing ourselves we're not you know, the sacrificial lambs here that are going to, uh, guarantee success for any outcome. Um, yeah, yeah. it's just, uh, you know, the more, the more she's, you know, uh, the more I sacrifice myself, the more likely it is somebody's going to succeed, you know, and uh-huh. that, that's a myth. And yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. But oh, you mean, often- uh, you mean neither you nor I is a savior? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. To me, this is part of the dilemma though. Mm-hmm. I do know from my own experience in recovery that I am helped by helping, mm-hmm. right? My mm-hmm. recovery went to a next, a, another level mm-hmm. when I agreed not only to have a sponsor, but to be a sponsor, mm-hmm. uh, to listen to and care about somebody else for a little bit each day. Mm-hmm. Now, fortunately I had modeled for me, by a sponsor, this loving detachment where he would give suggestions, but not orders. It was Mm -hmm. very clear. This is your life. You do what you want to do. I called him. He didn't call me. Mm -hmm. Uh, I didn't feel like he was, he cared about me, but his success was not invested in my success. Yeah. Your, your recovery wasn't his report card for, uh, right. (laughs) Sponsor a year or something. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I don't know that I have always, uh, uh, you know, hewed that line as cleanly as he did. Mm -hmm. But I will say that the older I get uh, and the more mistakes I have made and then felt the pain of it, Mm -hmm. I think my messianic illusions uh, have largely dissipated and I no longer am trying to help very often try to help too much, but it's always a tension for me. Yeah. Yeah, it uh, is. And, and in helping families and loved ones know um, what's helpful as well, because I can hear myself yeah. saying things and, and, you know, to be really, really candid about it, I, I hear myself saying things to people and um, <laughs> part of me goes, no shit, you need to apply that in this area of your life, talking to myself. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, sure. Yeah. Talking about imposter syndrome for a, for yeah. a minute, you know, at a, yeah, in a yeah, session yeah. with somebody. 
but that's true and it, because it's very often, uh, you know, it's in these situations that it, it, there is kind of a mirror that gets held up even yeah. to the people that are trying to direct and instruct uh, yeah, how to yeah. um, best maybe move forward in a situation. And then I hear myself saying something and immediately a thought in the situation yeah. in my own life comes to mind and I'm thinking, Oh God. Yeah. You know? And so I usually uh-huh. follow it up with, to them, you know, to the, to the client or the people, you know, inquiring <laughs> like, and I know this is hard. <laughs> I know this is very hard to do, but <laughs> it at least absolves my conscience a little bit. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. Cause, but, uh, but you know, it's important too, though, as like uh, with Sonia and her new work and, um, in coaching and uh, taking on clients that we understand our boundaries with what we can and can't fix for people with people. And that, um, and that we're not a hotline, we're not a suicide hotline and we're not Mm -hmm. a, you know, um, a 24 hour uh, consultation service, you know, where, um, you know, whatever is going on. And, uh, and yet, you know, I, I love and respect Nate that you are a guy that can, speak into crisis, even at mm-hmm. <laughs> the wee hours of the morning and, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um, and show up with people for people. Yeah. Um, but I think it's, it's partly learning to know what, what is and isn't a crisis. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. so, um, but I, yeah, it's, but it is a, it, I think, I think Sonia's book is a exercise for all of us in our different, um, angles, uh, in mm-hmm. the, in the equation of recovery that we all uniquely have to, ask ourselves, where are we, where are we going missing sometimes in all this, Mm. you know? Okay. Well, once again, our guest was Sonia Myrer. Sonia spelled S-O-N-J-A, Myrer, M-E-Y-R-E-R. Her book is, And Then You Went Missing. Uh, Well, that wraps it for this episode of the podcast, David. Uh, We do want to remind our listeners that we love to hear from you and you can, uh, Reach us at positive sobriety podcast at gmail.com. Uh, any feedback, encouragement, pushback, please take a minute and uh, drop us a line. Yeah. And if there's a topic or anything that they would love to hear discussed, uh, please mm-hmm. include that as well. Sure, sure. Or a guest you would like to suggest. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Well, until next time, then I'm Nate. And I'm David. And we are your pals (laughs) on the Positive Sobriety Podcast. The Positive Sobriety Podcast is recorded at Crossroads for the Nations in Brentwood, Tennessee. Live producer Rex Schnelli, music by Rex Schnelli, theme music by Matt Ulrich, Uh, hair and makeup by Lyle Lovett, uh, wardrobe (laughs) by Kathy Gifford. 